We keep saying that uh, baseball's ramping up and um, it doesn't ramp any harder than our national team going away to play against uh, the Japanese national team. And in order to get the real lowdown on what that looks like and uh, uh, the, the, the full experience, we've brought Australian team captain or co-captain Tim Kennelly into the studio. Um, Tim, welcome along. Cheers. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start with a really easy question. What does it mean to represent your country? Uh, oh, it means a whole, it means a, a lot um, to me personally. Um, you know, you're not only representing yourself, but you're representing, I guess, your family, your coaches, um, you know, past players um, that ha- have had an influence on on your career. So, um, yeah, it's special and, and you know to share that with teammates and you know lifelong friends that you've been playing with for a long time um, is really special. And you know to be able to showcase those skills. Um, on television um, to, you know, your family and friends. Um, yeah, it's pretty special. Now, you've been on the Australian team since 2009, Australia's senior men's team since 2009. Um, playing professional baseball at that time as well. Was getting the call to play for Australia, is that a buzz? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I think I played, uh, we had a couple of like practice um, games where I got to play with the team, but it wasn't in a tournament style, so... Um, yeah, you get to play, you know, with guys that you've been watching and idling for for a long time. Um, but you get that buzz, you know. It's you know, you, you're nervous, um, you're excited, um, and then you know, putting that uniform on and, and going out in front of in front of crowds is you know, it's pretty cool. And do they treat you like you know, sort of harking back to the junior days where you're like desperate to make a state team or something like that? Probably guy of your talent level it was never in question. But for scrappers like me, it was like, oh, geez, I hope I make it. Um, how do they let you know you've made the team? Um, I can't actually remember the first time I made an official team. Um, I think it was sort of you get you get a roster posted. Um, you know, so I played in a couple of um, some practice games, and um, you put in a uniform on, but you, you're technically not not a player on the national team yet. Um, so you sort of get treated like a rookie, and um, you know you, you pick up the the gear as as you should. Um, but then you know as soon as you find out, I think it might have been um, you know a message or an email from from the head coach Debs, and um, yeah, sort of you get all those emotions, and you know where you finally you get to represent your country. The um, you know you go from well, you've got a long almost geez, we're heading towards twenty years of fifteen years of being representing your country. I'd be really interested just to dig in how the experience changes from the rookie to now the captain and a, an elder state, statesman on the on the squad. So how how challenging it is, and and I think you know just looking from the outside in, the Australian team is typically quite an established squad of players, and it's always been um, a group of guys in their sort of mid to late twenties, early thirties, and you know you're taking away safe bets, so to speak. But how do you? F- what was your experience like as a young player trying to crack into that circle of established Australian stars and guys you probably looked up to? And because I asked the longest questions in history, we'll get to then how do you make that experience sort of similar or different to younger players? But as a young player cracking that team, you know, what are some of the challenges? Was it difficult to assimilate in? How did you find that experience? Yeah, it's definitely a, a long and slow process from, you know, being a rookie to now being one of the co-captains. But um you know, early memories on the team where um, you're nervous. You know, every every sort of um, move or um, you know, you know, being part of that team is you sort of making sure you're doing the right things and you know, picking up the gear and 
uh, making sure you're the last person to leave the dugout, those sorts of things. Um, but when it comes to, you know, the on-field or the training aspect, um, you know, I've been in pro ball for a few years now. So, um, you know, being prepared to play in those tournaments, I thought I was sort of up for the challenge. So um, when it came came to the on-field stuff, you just go out there and, and you just go play. Um but, you know, you're, you're playing against guys that have been in the big leagues, you're playing against guys that are in double A AA and triple A, um, and you're just trying to fit in, you know. You just want to make sure that you're, you know, you're part of the squad, you're doing your part. Um, but, yeah, it's um, it's nervous and exciting all at the same time. It, times have changed, but on mid, mid-90s, the, uh, the notion of rookie hazing and some of the obligations that go along with being a rookie – can you touch on some of those? Probably let you keep some of the less uh, less above board ones hidden for the moment. But what sort of expectations were there on a rookie off the field? Uh, I think it was just a rookie story on the bus was um, was probably the the main one as as part of a rookie um, coming up with some sort of story and and um, trying to entertain and and make it funny for the guys. So we'll probably keep that one off the podcast. Um, but apart from that, it's just um, making sure you're picking up the gear and. Um, yeah, just um, sort of being that last person there, the dugout, those sorts of things. Mm. Now, we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Dave Nielsen, and he indicated that there was COVID kind of saw off a group of established players who probably didn't get the send off that they deserved, having represented Australia for a long period of time. And then there's a you know the next wave of leaders like yourself. What, what have you taken away from your experiences to help incorporate and make the experience easier for younger players coming into the team? Because as you mentioned off air, there's probably six or seven guys who haven't been away with an Australian team. So what do you do to help those those guys fit in? I'm trying to make them feel comfortable, um, leading by example, sort of on and off the field, um, and just, you know, letting them them know that they're, um, they're part of the team and sort of everyone's sort of equal. Um, you know, we don't want to make it sort of uncomfortable for them. Um, so they can sort of ease into the team as easy as possible. Um, but then just trying to, you know, lead lead by example, be professional um, and, you know, show them what it, what it's what it takes to sort of, you know, be part of that national team. So it'd be really interesting just to sort of hear from you what, what have been some of the high points of your Australian career, like a tournament series that really jump out to you and, and why? Uh, I think any time, you know, we don't play enough tournaments really, um, but, you know, being part of the World Baseball Classic is pretty special. Um, there probably haven't been any any super highlights as, you know, as a group because we haven't we haven't won anything, you know. Obviously, you go away, you, you know, you're trying to win, so sort of finishing that fifth fifth or sixth in the world, you know, some people might think is pretty good, but, um, you know, when you go away, you, that means you're losing more than you're winning. So there hasn't really been that the super highlight obviously you know premier 12 making it through to the super round was pretty cool um but again you know we didn't get as far as what you know what we would want and expect as a team um so hopefully in you know world baseball classic next year would be will be a highlight for us surely you get off the plane the world baseball classic and go jesus we're we're up against it here um the piece that i'm always interested in um and and it'll be the same with japan is Australia are largely made up of professionals at a lower level of the professional game or people who have since uh, completed a professional career, so amateurs effectively, and then you're rolling up against professionals. There's got to be an element of we're hard up against it here or is it the Australia kind of the, the grinder in us that always sort of lets us believe we've got a chance? Yeah, I guess there's a bit of a mix. Um, you know, it's 
tournament style baseball. You know, you got to play this. You know, got to play the Japanese team for nine innings. Um, and we've shown that we've competed with them in the past. We've you know we've been ahead in games. Um, we've been close to beating them, sort of one run, one run games. Um, we've shown our pitching matches up against them. Uh, probably a different style of pitching to what they're used to facing. So we seem to keep them to um, to you know low scores. Um, but when you're facing the caliber of pitching, um, you know it's it's hard to score runs. So um, sort of timely hitting comes into it. But um, you know, nine innings, we've we've got guys that can play and that have played at that level. Um, but it's just being consistent and being able to keep that for a full nine innings or a full tournament, um, which we're not too far away from. So just to dive into a little bit of baseball for dummies, because we sit here and say, "Oh, tournament baseball versus baseball." Um, Obviously, tournament baseball, you're showing up as a team for the vast majority, you, you don't play with those guys year-round, so it's a bunch of new people you're thrust together with. Um, like, what are the challenges that go along with tournament baseball and how how can it be – why is it so unpredictable? Like, why are there teams that are expected to win that don't and, and teams like Australia who, you know, you might think will come middle of the table but then charge a little bit harder? What, what are some of the key differences? Yeah, I guess in tournament style baseball, you, you're probably facing guys that you've never faced before. Um, you know, scouting reports are hard to come by to get as well. Um, and then, you know, sometimes you got um, you got you know pitchers that can go out there and can compete against the best in the world, and um, you've only got a small roster to be able to do that. Um, so, I guess we go out there and we we expect to win uh, when we play. Um, but you, you're, you're facing, you know, number one, number two in the world, um, and you're going to face some teams that you know you should you should ten run. So um, I guess you just sort of, you know, the coaching staff puts together the roster, um, puts together the lineup, and um, gives us the best chance to beat a, a team on any given day. I want to get to the scouting report piece in a sec because I'm fascinated on on that. Another element that it's very hard to measure is culture, and I think Australians are always you thrust a group of Australian people together and they always find a way to A, have a good time and, and B, find a way to compete. But like, what is the culture like on the Australian team and, and then just pushing a group of guys together? How do you quickly – how does culture manifest itself? How do you get the culture you need to win baseball games? I've, I've found on the national team the culture's been awesome from when I was a rookie to, to now. And um, and a part of that is, is we've all got – you know, everyone's sort of in a similar boat. Um, you know, we've all sort of played professional baseball, but getting together, um, you know, the banter at the moment, our team's pretty good. Um, you know, everyone's excited to go away. We haven't played baseball in a few years, but even even Premier 12, just the culture of the team was awesome. You know, we've got, we've got best friends playing together, you know, guys that we've sort of played with and against for, for many years. Um, and it's just exciting. Like, we're, we're excited to put the uniform on again. Um, we're excited to get together in Japan for you know for a friendly series. Um, so so the culture is awesome, which which I think shows for us um, on the field. Uh, I think you know everyone plays for each other. You play for the uniform, you play for the name in the front of the jersey, um, and it's just you know it's just something special getting together with those group of guys. The um, so sort of staying on this theme of tournament baseball and preparation, we we're chatting off air about. You know, as a player, how do you have the information that you need to compete and succeed and in that sort of scouting side of things? And I want to dive into you personally as a hitter, but from a, at an international level, what kind of access do you have to data to some of these teams prior to playing them? 
Uh, I guess it depends on who we're playing, and, and some of the information can be limited. Um, obviously, we're going to play some countries where we know nothing about them at all, um, and we'll, we'll face some guys where um, information's pretty easy to get. Um, you know, if we're facing the Japanese team, whoever we Google, we can find pitching stats, we can find video on them, um, and it can be up to the individual hitter with how much information they want and how much information they need. Um, so if we're facing, a, for instance, if we know who we're facing the day before facing Japan or South Korea, we can we can YouTube them, we can you know watch them pitch, see how they pitch, what type of pitches they have. Uh, for me personally, I like to know as much information as I can about a, a guy, but um, if you don't have that information, then you've got to be able to quickly watch them on deck, um, watch them warm up and try and um, get any sort of tendencies they they have um, and try and visualise, um, you know, someone that you might have faced previous that looked very similar. Um, so it's really adjusting and, and that tournament-style baseball can be tough because um, you might f- get a reliever that comes in, you might be on deck, um, and you don't, might not have time to look over those scouting reports. So um, that sort of goes out the window and you basically got to go on the fly. Okay, so we'll go a little bit nerd alert here. Um, you personally as a hitter, what's the key information you want prior to facing someone? Uh, a couple of things I like to know about the pitch is, is velocity. How hard how hard does he throw? What do I need to gear up for? Um, and fastball movement. Does his fastball cut, sink? Is it pretty straight? You know, high spin rate. So those sorts of things. I want to know what types of pitches he has. Fastball slider, split, curve. Um, and then more importantly, I like to know how he pitches. So if, he, if he's a fastball slider change-up guy, that's good knowing what he's got. But how does he pitch? Does he pitch backwards? Does he like to come in? So um, just on that one. When you say does he pitch backwards, yep. what do you mean by that? So, so typically, um, someone that pitches backwards might throw, you know, get me over sliders or off speed, you know, in hitters count. So, you know, o o one o two o, which would traditionally be a fastball count. Which, yeah. yeah, which um, you know, over the years has been fastball counts, but um, as we've seen in tournament style baseball, that changes, um, and even in the game today, watching Major League Baseball, that's that's changed mm. a little bit. So. Um, you'll see a lot of guys pitch backwards, um, you know, but if you've got a guy that has high velocity and you know that he's going to throw fastball and fastball counts, then you know you can gear up for it. Where um, you might face a guy that, um, you know, 75% of the time in a 1-0 count throws your slider. Um, there's no point going there looking for a fastball um, middle in because you're probably not going to get it. So um, the approach changes on the pitcher and the type of pitcher he is. So the information I want to know is, you know, fastball velocity, um, movement, what types of pitches he has and, and how he pitches. So can I summarise that by saying, and this is for younger hitters, that you are effectively making educated guesses as a hitter early in the count. Um, that dictates your approach. And I think what a lot of young hitters are coached, they'll react, which is pretty hard to react to fastball, breaking ball and those types of things. And I think having the benefit of talking to someone who's had success is from an approach perspective, you're trying to get as much knowledge as you can to make an educated guess on what pitch you're going to attack. Is that fair to say? 100%, yeah. yeah. Um, as a young hitter, you've you got time to react because they don't throw hard mm-hmm. enough. Um, the harder they throw, the harder it is to be able to hit his fastball, his slider and his change-up if you're looking for all three. Obviously, it changes when you get to two strikes, and you've got to be able to hit, um, you know, his fastball and, and off speed. But um, if, if you're looking to try and hit a, a fastball and a slider, 
in in the same pitch, you're just setting yourself up for for weak contact. Um, so you got to you got to have educated guesses. Um, you got to be able to commit to it, um, and you got to be able to see, you see it out of the hand as well. So, not 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 saying that um, you know if if you got pretty sound mechanics, you can still look for a fastball and and maybe see that off speed out of the hand. Uh, and if you can keep your hands back. Um, and you get that hanging breaking ball, that breaking ball in the strike, then you can still react and hit it. Um, but 99% of the time you're you're sitting for a particular pitch and you're committing to that pitch. We were talking off, off, off air just around, you know, being in that flow state where as a hitter you just react and sometimes you get to first base and you're like, I don't even know what I hit there, but geez, I hit it hard. How often do you go through that? stage do you know is that something you've been out of you get into and you stay hot and that just happens or is it fleeting how does it work for you uh, i guess it comes and goes um yeah there's definitely been times where you you'll go up there and you'll be dead red uh on the fastball and then he flips you in a slider and you react and you pull it down the line for a double um and again it kind of sort of comes down to um your preparation and confidence in in knowing your swing um and being sort of mechanically sound which allows you to do that um, you know, not too, being too sort of um, jumpy at the ball, um, but yeah, there's there's definitely times where you you'll sit you'll sit on a pitch and you'll just see it early out of the hand and and your body weights back enough and you can still react and hit it. What? So okay, so we've sort of talked about having available information. I'm sure there's been times in your career where someone comes out of the bullpen, you're like, I've never ever seen this guy. I don't have a clue who they are or what they do. As a hitter. What are you trying to do on the on de- or from the dugout or on deck circle to, to give yourself a chance? Uh, it's a tough one, especially when you're facing Japan, because you'll see a guy come out of the bullpen that you've never seen before and throws five fastballs for his warm up pitches, and then you get in the box in the first pitch slider, and you're like, "Where'd that come from?" But um, thanks, mate. Yeah, um, but but most most pitchers are going to show you everything they've got in the warm ups. You know, they'll show you their pitches, um, but you might not know how they pitch. So. You're basically trying to um, your time, and, and you know if you don't have radar gun up there, you're sort of getting your timing on deck to try and gauge what his velocity might be. Um, and then you sort of being on the side, you can sort of see, um, you know, what his off-speed stuff does. You know, does he have a big loopy curveball? Is it sort of a tight little slider? Um, and just trying to gauge as much information as you can just by visually watching him. Um, and then just going up there and, and either sitting dead red fastball or or if you think he's a guy that might be throwing throws a lot of sliders or whatever then then maybe you're looking for that um, but you just again they've got to throw it over the over the plate so you sort of you hunt hunt fastballs over the plate and um, and try and be on time for it. The in recent times, well probably last ten years, there's just been this incremental increase in velocity across the game, and that's even that's trickling down into the ABL and even club baseball. And there's, you know, there's still the old man shaking their fist to the cloud saying throw strikes, control the zone, but more and more guys are trying to pump velocity. And I think I read an article yesterday that the average major league velocity was 95 miles an hour, which means guys are sitting at 95 miles an hour. As a hitter, is this making the game harder? They may not be throwing as many strikes, but they're throwing the ball harder. Or was it harder when guys really did control the strikes? So what, in your opinion, what is it, what's made it more challenging? Um, obviously getting older and, and, and guys throwing harder, um, you just got to be able to train, train your body to be able to see that. So it's, it's again, the velocity is not something that we haven't seen before, but just more guys are doing it. Um, so I guess if you've got a guy that's sort of 95 and above, 
who doesn't have much command, you you'll see that they'll leave a lot of balls over the heart of the plate. And so you can you know anyone can anyone can time a ninety nine mile an hour fastball if you're on time for it. Um, so I would argue that Tim, I was never well, quite so good. <laughs> if you start swinging now, you might be able to be on time for it. So, um, you know, you I can you can time you can time a hundred mile an hour fastball, um, you, and you'll find that they'll leave more balls over the middle of the plate. So, uh, I guess it can be argued both ways. Um, if you've got a guy that throws ninety nine with pretty good command and pretty good off speed, that makes it really mm. tough to hit. Um, you know, you definitely don't have time to hit. Fastball and slider, so you've got to be um, dead red on one of them. Um, but then you'll face guys that are sort of 88 to 92 that can um, hit the corner all day, which makes it hard to get something over the over the middle of the plate to be able to drive. So it definitely goes both ways. Um, definitely training, you know, the training side of things, you know, humping up the, um, the pitching machine to higher velocity just to train that time to contact is important. Um, just to make sure that you um, you can catch up to that high velocity fastball. Interesting note you just made there in terms of preparation. Like you're a a, a player now who has a real job and mm-hmm. family commitments and those types of things. What what level of training and commitment are you putting in to to be ready for this sort of tournament? It's funny you say that. It's um it's definitely been a, a bit of a different preparation sort of heading into this. You know, having two kids, um, having a job. Um, a lot of my training is, um, you know, before the last sort of couple of months is is training on my own, you know, going down to, to the local oval, um, long tossing into the side of a cage, hitting off a tee, um, doing my sprint conditioning work, um, just making sure my body's right um, was sort of is the key, making sure my shoulder's fine to throw, making sure my legs are good to be able to play tournament-style baseball and move and making sure my swing's okay. Um, and then it gets into the training side of things where we um, we train together as a team down at club ball and then into the Perth heat where you try and get as many live at-bats against pitchers, you know, who are also preparing to go away as possible um, because nothing really sort of compares to actually getting in there and competing against the pitchers. Um, you know, you can train batting practice, um, you know, off a machine, hitting off a tee all you want. That's sort of, you know, fine-tuning the swing, but it's the competitive nature of making sure that swing plays against pitchers, you know. You can hit off a tee and, and, and think your swing's fine, but you get in there against a live BP or a live pitcher and, um, you know, you can find, you know, little flaws in your swing. So trying to get as many at-bats in as early as possible and keep that going all the way up to the start of the season has is, is been key. But, um, yeah, it's been a lot of throwing into a net and, and hitting off a tee. The, um, there's been a real shift in... Um, in recent times, away from that sort of kind of an old, an old coach rolling over BP and letting hitters just tee off during BP, which is good for your ego, but to your point, probably doesn't allow you to adjust to the velocity you need to see. Uh, with more teams employing either live batting practice where a pitcher throws or machine, I'm just interested to know hitting against a machine that's dialing up velocity, is that... Is that a hard adjustment to make? Like, you know, it's it's a, someone feeding a ball into machine and technology is better where they can replicate pitches and that sort of stuff, but it's still that timing element is not the same as watching a ball come out of a hand. How, how have you uh, b- 
built that into your routine and your preparation. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny because the I never used to be a fan of hitting off a off a machine, um, and it's probably because of the timing aspect of things. But the older I've got, the the more I've realised how important it is, um, and it's and it's because if you're if you're facing high velocity of, off a machine with with high spin rate and you're not squaring the ball up, there's obviously some sort of breakdown in um, in the swing. So um, dialing it up and and working on that time to contact, working on barreling the ball off that high spin rate, high velocity is important for for playing at that high level. Uh, but then you've got the live aspect of facing you know facing batting practice flips um, to work on your swing. Um, and then facing live batting practice where you're facing pitches where you actually, you know, you're working on your, your es- estimated guesses. Um, you're making sure that your timing's right against a live pitcher. So there's definitely um, a play for both of them, um, but I've definitely found uh, preparating preparation this year for, for heading away. I've used the machine a bit more. As a as a, an older player, let's not – won't play up your age too much because you're not <laughs> that old, but – how well do you know your swing? And the reason I ask is half the battle in baseball is you have a bad at bat, you're able to go back to the dugout and figure out how I did that wrong. I can adjust. And a lot of young players just don't know their own swing and they're relying on a coach to try and say, hey, you're doing this, which is almost impossible to fix during a game. But how well do you know your swing? And and then I guess my next part to that question is when you're taking batting practice and you're doing this, what are you looking for? Because I do remember when I was younger, I was just trying to tee off and hit the ball over the fence and, that's all well and good, but if you've got a massive hook on it, it's probably not the outcome you really need. Um, as a hitter with some experience, what are you looking to do in batting practice? Yeah, I guess you're always trying to master your swing and you're always making adjustments. And, you know, f- from one swing, um, you know, one day might feel a, a bit different. The next day your swing might feel a little bit off. Um, but but knowing your swing is really important, you know, knowing what pitches you can handle well, um, you know, knowing what you can do with, you know, certain pitches. Do I need to foul that off or do I need – can I drive that ball in the gap? So knowing your swing is really important and, and trying to master that um, and, and, and continue to, to keep making those adjustments. But during batting practice, you got to keep you got to keep working on, you know, your flaws or, you know, your semi-flaws, but you're also working on pitches that you can drive well, um, you work on so I work on two strike approach off you know off a tee off off flips um, in batting practice and you you work head in the count so you actually you're working on different situations during you know tee flips batting practice um, and just trying to figure out what you know and it might be different from day to day um, you know what you can be, what you can do on that particular day and um, what's going to work for you was there a part in your career and I've by no means do I mean you've got hitting figured out, but was there a, a sort of a stage in your career where you're like, I understand my swing, what I'm good at, and I'll dial in and lock into that, not try and be something, you know, in pro ball, they want you're an outfielder, an infield, you know, corner infielder, they wanted you, that's a position traditionally that hits home runs and those types of things. But was there a point in your career where like, I figured out what I do well, this is my sweet spot. Obviously, you always try to work on weaknesses, but at what age did that sort of kick in? Um, it was probably not until sort of my fourth, uh, maybe fifth year into Pro Bowl where I sort of, um, you know, figured out, I sort of have a little bit of a different setup to my swing, but I figured out um, the swing that worked for me and what pitches I could hit well and what pitches I can handle and, and how that's going to fit into my approach. Um, sort of early into my pro career, you just you go out there and, and you just play. You, you know, you're swinging the bat, but you don't actually – 
you haven't figured your swing out and you haven't figured your approach out. So it probably wasn't until four or five years into pro ball and it's still something that you always try and master um, and you've never, you never got it all figured out. Um, but I've sort of got to a point now, you know, the last, whatever, six or seven years where I know my swing, um, I know what, um, you know, what my approach should be and, um, yeah, and try, and, try not to steer what works for me. So, If you could give a young Tim Kennelly advice, that's the curse of age, right? You've got this wisdom that you wish you had when you were younger, but what, what advice would you have given to a young professional Tim Kennelly that may have – and it, it's really hard to get to the major leagues, let's be honest here, but, like – is there things you you would have changed or would have done differently with hindsight as someone who's still having pretty good success in the game? Yeah, I guess I guess you know the knowledge you have now of hitting, just as a whole, you wish you knew when you were eighteen, first year in pro ball. You know, there you're just going out there and you're swinging the bat. Where now you got a now I've got a, a good approach or a, a proper approach, and um, and just having that approach, you know, every at bat, every pitch, pitch to pitch, and being able to make those adjustments on the fly. Um, being able to see pitchers' tendencies, maybe the tipping pitches, um, you know, even just from the way that they look in and get the sign, you can you can get little tips of you know potentially what they're throwing. So the educated guesses get better the older you get. Um, where the swing probably hasn't changed as much, it's just a matter of being able to put that into your approach. So as a, as a whole, I guess um, just knowing knowing your swing and and knowing you know potentially what pitches are throwing in your approach. Um, if you if you had that information at 18, carry that through your career, things might be different. Mm. The other piece that I think we're getting better at Australia, but it's still not widely accepted as the physical side of things. And, you know, there's two specimens sitting in this room, obviously, from a physical <laughs> perspective. But, you know, look, that's the piece that Australians seem to take on quite late. And you see Australian guys who kind of start to have a bit of success it's often when they figured out I should be in the weight room, I should get it bigger and stronger. What was the turning point from you for you on that side of the of things? Uh, probably fat camp for my first spring training. So yeah, so I uh, here we go. Yeah, so first spring training, um, we have a um, the Phillies do a, a shuttle run as part of um, their testing. So it's just I think it was there and back six times. You get two minute rest and you have to do it four times. And by the fourth time, I was gassed. Um, I finished it, obviously, but um, yeah, went into went into fat camp. They called it. So you get to the field about an hour and a half before everyone else. I was there with. Um, I wasn't really fat, maybe a little bit chubby, but um, was there with you know probably twenty other guys, um, just basically running laps and and doing extra conditioning, um, just to sort of get you up to speed with you know with the rest of the guys. And um, I thought I was pretty pretty fit sort of heading into my first spring training but um yeah there's a there's a difference between being fit to play 140 games and being fit so um that that was a big help for me and then obviously getting on um, the strength and conditioning program that the Phillies provided was big um and yeah just making sure your body's right um you know to, to be able to recover and play the next day yeah I think that's the bit that um I think a lot of young players mistake, I spend time in the gym, therefore I'm fit, as opposed to I spend time in the gym, I'm being really purposeful and I'm preparing myself for this massive grind that is a professional baseball season. I think that's the education that you never really, you know, and every pro person I've ever spoken to, they, aside from Scott Mitchison, mm -hmm. everyone underestimated 
what sort of shape they needed to be in. And that was, um, yeah, pretty eye-opening. And, and Australia doesn't really have that culture of you're in the gym at 15 and you're starting to get yoked. It's, um, you know, you tend to wait until probably a bit past that. But as a professional player, you've already been signed. And that's the, you know, you're sort of starting behind the eight ball a little bit there. So uh, pretty challenging. Yeah, funny funny story on Scotty Mitchinson. So I was with, I was with Scotty with the Phillies um, when I first went over there. And he was a specimen and we, we would do testing and um, we had to do um, single leg squats from a bench. All right, so everyone had to do it. And I think he got 71 on each leg and I think the next closest was about 40 and he would he would smash all the testing. <laughs> but then he also had three surgeries, so <laughs> sorry, Scott. <laughs> yeah, we used to give him yeah, the best biceps in baseball. Yeah. Um, just sort of diving back into the Australian team, what sort of preparation, what does the preparations look like heading towards Japan? When does the team come together? Is there a training camp? What does that look like? Yeah, so the team got together to play a couple of um, games in the weekend versus the Perth Heat. So that's sort of the first time we've getting the team together. Um, and then we we travel and get to Japan about four days before we play them. Um, and that's as much as we prepare. So... Um, the Otis is on, on the individual on making sure that they're ready to go um, physically and, and ready to go game wise. So most most of the time we don't have um, we don't have the funding to be able to put together a, you know a six eight week training camp which would be which would be great for the team um, but it just most of the time just can't happen. So everyone's got sort of individual programs. They'll get programs from um, a strength and conditioning coach. Um, they'll play club ball. They'll play ABL, do whatever they can to make sure they're prepared for, for tournament style baseball. Um, and then we get together, you know, a week before and, um, you know, try and pull it all together and um, be ready to go. Uh, I think world baseball classic next year would be, uh, would be good for us coming off, you know, straight off an ABL season, a full season. Maybe we'll get a little uh, mini camp before we head away. Um, so I think we'll be pretty prepared for that. We'll get to the World Baseball Classic in a second. What sort of squads Japan putting together? They had some, they had some guys who broke significant records. I think it was a young guy who broke um, the home the season home run record. Um, you know, obviously they've got guys who are really dialing it up from a velocity perspective. What do you know about that squad? Uh, not much. I know that they're going to put together, um, you know, their best players. They, they take it pretty do. seriously. They yeah. do, yeah. Anytime they get the national team together, they're not they're not messing around. They're putting together their best squad um, and they're playing to win. Um, so we know we're going to get the best. We know we're going to get high velocity. We're going to get good off-speed pitches. We're going to get guys that can put the ball out of the ballpark, um, get guys that can run, and their defense is phenomenal. So we know we're going to have to play errorless baseball, Pitches are going to be on, and we're going to be able to. We need to be able to get timely hitting and and get guys in scoring position. Um, we know we're going to face yeah the be- the best in the world. What's what is their style of baseball? Like you you know, you see videos of them sort of chopping the ball in the ground and running, but then they have guys who really bang. What wh- like what is the Japanese style of baseball? Uh, it's a good mix. They've got they play good defense. Um, most of the guys can run. Um, they got guys that throw hard. Um, with good split fingers, and if they don't throw hard, they don't throw fastballs. Um, and then obviously you've got um, you know power hitters. They stay in the zone for a long period of time. Um, you know they'll look silly on one swing and hit a home run on the next. Um, you know they're just they're just consistent, and um, they've got a lot of guys and a lot of depth that can be consistent. Excuse my ignorance, but have you played in Japan before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the crowds are just 
bonkers, right? Yeah, last time we played in Japan um, was Premier 12, where we uh, played um, Tokyo Dome, 40,000 people. I was playing right field. We had the band in right field. I couldn't hear anything. You know, they had um, they had chants for all their hitters that come up. Uh, fly balls in the outfield, you can't hear you can't hear the centre fielder. So you've got to rely a little bit on the visual side of things as well. Um, but it's crazy. Great atmosphere. Um, it's awesome to play in front of. What's it like playing baseball in a dome? A little bit weird the first time. Um, you've got to get some, you know, reads in the outfield. Um, you know, you sort of have all white roofs. Uh, but it's cool. It's loud because um, obviously the sound echoes um, – but obviously, you don't you know you've got no wind. Um, you've got none of the um, you know mother nature aspects to it. But um, yeah, it's really cool. Japanese dish you're looking forward to consuming when you get over there? Uh, ramen, yeah, proper. Yeah. Um, I just want to touch on before we get to the ABL, the World Baseball Classic. Can you just give us a bit of a rundown on what that is, and then what sort of commitment is required, and and where, what locations that takes you to? Yeah, it's the World Baseball Classic. obviously the best, you know, the best of the best, the best tournament in the world. Um, all the teams put together their best, their best team. So, um, last one was two thousand and seventeen. It was meant to be in two thousand and twenty-one, but obviously um, COVID got rid of that. So, yeah, now March next year. Uh, normally, four pools of four teams. We've got four pools of five teams this year, so we've had another team qualify. Um, we'll be in a pool with Japan, South Korea, China, and Czech Republic. Um, so obviously you've got two of the powerhouse countries in the world in our division and we'll be based we'll be based in Tokyo for our first round and, and then hopefully um, move on to Super Round after that. Um, but yeah, we know we're going to be playing against the best in the world. Uh, we'll be well prepared coming off an ABL season and um, you know hopefully a little mini training camp before we head o- over to Japan. Um, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be exciting. What sort of time commitment is that for a guy who's got a job and a family? Well, how long are you away from home for that? Um, I guess it'll depend on what our training camp looks like. So it might be it might be away for a month. Mm. Um, lucky enough to have a government job where you can get some international sporting event leave, which is pretty cool. Which some guys don't have the luxury of getting. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things. If you got World Baseball Classic, um, you find the time find to way, yeah. you find a yeah you find a way to commit. Um, Probably we've had you for a little while now, but I wanted to finish up talking about the ABL. So this will be the first sort of full-blown, let's get it on again type um, setup. How are the Perth Heat looking? And um, where do you guys, where do you see yourself sort of finishing up here? Yeah, I think we've got a pretty exciting group. Um, we've had a few training sessions now. The imports are starting to float in. We've got, you know, some some good local Aussie talent from Perth. Um, we've got the Tampa Bay Rays have sent over five imports. We've got some indie ball arms that are going to help us. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty exciting season. We're just excited to play. It's been two years since we've had a full, you know, ABL season. Um, everyone's itching to go. We're lucky enough to play Team Australia in a three-game series and sort of get the cobwebs out and, um, you know, see what the atmosphere is going to be like. Um, but, yeah, just really excited I think we've got a really good team. Um, they've put together, Perth had to put together a really good squad. Um, yeah, I think we're going to be right up there come season's end. You mentioned, so the Tampa Bay Rays has had a reasonably long affiliation with um, the Perth Eden and have sent really quality prospects out. But you mentioned indie ball arms. Um, what's the benefit of having those guys, or what is independent baseball to start with, and, and what's the benefit of having those guys to supplement the 
the, the true pro guys. Yeah, so it's independent baseball is sort of like a semi-professional league over in the States. Um, so it's um, sort of different from, from professional baseball. Um, so you've got a lot of different leagues over there. But they're, most of the time they're made up of guys that have been in professional baseball. Um, you have ex-big leaguers play in the league. You have some guys just out of college play. So it's a, a big big variety. Um, but I think the important thing is we're going to get pitchers um, that have experience that have pitched at that level before um, and they're not really they don't really have restrictions mm. you know so we can go out there and, and these guys want to win um, they want to compete and some of the guys are looking to re-sign so they're coming out here to you know show what they've got um, and you know we've had guys that have sort of played in double triple a that are now in independent ball so they've been there done that um, and they're just looking to come over here win and potentially get signed again and we've got some um, some local talent. Who are the who are the youngsters we should be looking at from WA? Yeah, we've got um, Alex Hall, Oric Bajarski, um, who've played you know a few years of professional baseball now. So they're sort of at the level where um, you know they're not just on the team as the young guys anymore. They're sort of part of the leadership group now. Um, we've got young guy BJ Cook, who's had his first year of professional baseball over in the states. Um, that'll be on the team. So excited to see him. Um, and then we've got, um, you know, just a, a normal Aussie arms that just sort of seem to be there year in, year out and competing and, and, and helping us win. Geordie Powell's just come back from, um, you know, three or four years over in college. Yeah, I'm so excited to see what he's going to provide us. Well, Tim, really appreciate your time. We're looking forward to um, seeing how Team Australia gets on with Japan. We will be doing a lot of promotional work and there's some technology coming out allowing us to clip highlights and those types of things. So hopefully we can get those out to the people as quickly as possible. And uh, hopefully this is great preparation for the World Baseball Classic next year and Australia doing uh, particularly well. So thanks very much for your time. No worries. Thanks, Stu.